This message was presented through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. All right. I would like to just uh, start with a prayer. Shall we stand together as we do that? <clears throat> Our dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us together here to this place. And we are here to learn, learn more about you, learn more about ways to reach people, to prepare them for the second coming. And we now ask you that you are here with us and that you will teach us and that you will impress us with thoughts and ideas that we can take back home and implement them there. Thank you, Lord, for being here in our midst. Amen. We all, we all, I think, long for churches that grow, right? This is a church. And uh, we, we, we all long for churches that naturally grow, that, that are places where people are drawn to. Like if this is a magnet, yeah, where, where people who don't know Christ, are drawn to naturally and stay. Some, no, not sometimes, oftentimes, this is not, in most cases I should say, this is not the reality in our local Adventist churches. Not, not, not in Europe. Yeah, we, are, we are always glad to have a baptism or two per year. But in, in, most, in most cases, we, we are not used. We, we don't see our church as the place where, where it's the normal thing that people come to and find Jesus. Do I say too much? Is it true in your church? Yeah. So, but but we, long, we long for this. We, it's so good to see you. I just see a good, good friend in the last row. <laughs> Jeremy, it's good to see you. Um, we, we long for a place. We long our churches to be a place where we just get used to seeing people getting converted. But how can it be? Um, and we have tried different methods, haven't we? And uh, probably your church has tried small groups before. How many of you have been part of a small group before? Can I see your hands? Okay, mo most of them have not. Okay, um, it's not about the method that makes a difference. Because I, I have had small groups that were not successful. We, we, we used the right method without being successful. And I was asking the question, why? I'd like to write a word here on the, on the flip chart, and that's identity. What is identity? What makes up identity? Please, you, you can feel free to answer. Is it a sense of belonging? Yeah, it, yeah, it says, right? It says who you belong to, who, are. who you are. What else? What you, what you believe, right? What you believe is part of your identity. 
Your lifestyle, yeah, has to do with your identity. Sure. Say that again. Your, my history, right? My past. My. My behavior. Okay. Yeah. My behavior. Yeah. You see, there's there's a lot to say about identity, and one of the main points I want to bring across in this seminar, that a success in mission has not so much to do with what we do, but with what we are. It has to do with our identity. It has to do not with the method, but let me put it this way, it has to do with my spiritual DNA. With my spiritual DNA. Um, and I'd like to start with a Bible passage that talks about identity. And we find that in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I, will, I would like to start to read in verse 19. John chapter 1, starting in nine, verse 19. Now this is a testimony of John when the Jews sent spies and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? All right, who are you? The question is about identity. The question is, who are you? What is your identity? And he confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you, whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. All right. They come with a question to John the Baptist. What is your identity? Who are you? Okay, can you find his answer? What is his answer? What is his answer? Yes. Yes. Look, he, he refers to something. He refers to his prophetic identity. He says, what, what I do here today before your eyes has been prophesied before by the prophet Isaiah. So his identity has to do with uh, a prophetic calling. It has to do with a prophetic calling. But more than that, he, he talks about more than this prophetic calling. What else can you see in the passage? Well, he also says, I'm not. Yeah, he knows who he's not. Yeah. It's good to know who you are not if you want to know who you are. Yeah. Uh -huh. but what else? Please. 
Right. He, he talks to his relationship with Jesus. Yeah? But what else is his identity? We are not done yet. There's more to say about his identity. Can you see it? It's his commission. You see, one, it's an integral part of our identity to know what we are there for. What we are there for. Our commission. You know, some, sometimes when we talk about Adventist identity, we make a mistake. Because we say, well, th those people who, who understand our prophetic calling, who know that we are a prophetic movement to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, who have the right theology, they are the ones who have a good Adventist identity. But if you have a conservative Adventist with no relationship with Jesus and not working for souls, you have someone who does not have a good Adventist identity. You get my point? So, because in, even, even in New Testament times, in the time of Jesus, you, you had people they were, who were very rigid about rules. They had a, well, I wouldn't say they had a good theology, but they had, they had a conservative theology in their eyes. But they didn't care about lost people. The Pharisees. So, we must never separate identity with mission. Whenever we separate the bo both, we have Pharisees. So, and we, we need both things. When, when we talk about successful, uh, successful small groups, we have to understand that a small group will be successful only when we have a healthy identity. That is, we are biblical, we have a good biblical foundation about what we believe and about how we believe, and we have a passion about lost souls. Just recently, I, I, uh, a friend of mine, he was talking about, uh, about the, a story from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5. And it was the story when um, John, Peter and John, they were, they were brought before the council, and they were beaten, and they were, they were told not to tell about Jesus, and they came back to the church. What did the church do? when they came back. What did they do? They prayed, right? What did they pray about? Right, right. You see, they, they didn't pray, oh, please, Lord, help us not to be beaten again. They didn't pray, please, Lord, take away our problem. They said, Lord, help us to speak your word boldly. Give us boldness. Help us to Fulfill our commission. You see, when, whenever we make this a priority and say, Lord, our first concern is to reach lost people, then the Lord will take care of other things. Oftentimes we pray, Lord, take away the problem. Maybe the problem is just what we need to grow. You see what I mean? Okay, identity. So we, we must always keep in mind there are always two levels. One level is what we do and the other level is what we are. So let me put it this way. This is 
what you what you are. This is be, being, and this is what we do. And sometimes we want to have a quick solution. Please give me the right the right method, so I can grow. Show me the right method so my smaller group can grow. It doesn't work like that. We have to think about this. And now I would like to do something with you. And this is something that I did with my students at the Josiah Mission School, and we were amazed at the outcome. This is, this is a seminar about small groups, right? Okay, so we should do small groups now. I want to give you an assignment. Um, you know you can read many, many, many books about evangelism and small groups. Yeah, you, you, can, you can fill whole bookshelves with books about evangelism. And there, there are many books, there, there are many good books out there. There are others not so good. But when you read all the good books, you know what you will notice? You can always come back to the book of Acts and find the, the solution right there. So now in this seminar, we don't have the time to read the whole book of Acts. But what we can do, I think I can safely suppose that all of you have read the book of Acts, right, before. Okay, so one thing I want to do is the following. Um, I want you to skip to read, you cannot read the whole chapters, but skip over chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, the first five chapters. And ask yourself one question. What was the characteristic of the New Testament church, of the first church, that helped the church to grow? What was the identity? What was the values? What was their mission? What, the, what, what were their characteristics? Did you understand the assignment? All right. So, and I want to give you maybe, let's say, 15 to 20 minutes uh, to do that. And I would recommend that we split up in small groups of maybe five or six maximum, yeah? And then go through these Bible texts together and write down the characteristics together with the Bible verses that show, that show us what, make, what made the difference in the book of Acts. And you will see it's, it's profound, but it's easy. Now let's wrap it up together. <laughs> All right, let's come together. All right, you stick together, it's good. <laughs> now let's, let's try to bring our results together, shall we? Okay, what have you found about, uh, you, you can, if you want to, you, you can remain sitting like this, no problem. Uh, what have you found out about, about Acts chapter 1? We are looking for the characteristic of the New Testament church that made it grow. So we... We, we don't just talk about a, a superficial method. We, we go deeper 
we go deeper to their characteristics. All right, what have you found out in, in Acts chapter 1? What have you found out? Please. Okay. Okay. They followed. They followed Christ. They followed what He did, what He what He told them. What else, please? Okay. Which verse was that? In which verse did you find that? <laughs> We have prayer. Fourteen. It's verse 14, right? Yeah. All right. What else did you find? Please, Jeremy. They were promised to receive the Holy Ghost. All right. They had the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? Right. And let's, let's read that verse 8 because it's crucial. Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's interesting. Before that, Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem. It's interesting. He says, uh, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every nation. But here he says, don't go. Don't, don't go before you have not received the Holy Spirit. So it must be crucial. And if I apply this to our situation today, I think it, it's still valid. We can, talk, we can talk for years about methods. But I think Jesus says, don't go until you have received the Holy Spirit. It seems to be crucial in, in that story. And it's interesting. He says, you, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you. What's the consequence? Yes, but before witnesses. You shall receive power. Uh, you, you're right. Yeah? You, no, you're right. You, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and the consequence, you will speak. You will be witnesses. That comes up again and again. But we have, we have more in chapter 1. Characteristics of the New Testament church that made it grow. What can you find? Please. Yes. Yes. Looking for guidance. Looking to Jesus for guidance. But there's more. They, yeah, living in harmony together. So I call it fellowship. They were living in close fellowship. We will come to this later. Fellowship. And there's something else in the chapter that we as Adventists should notice. The second coming. Right, right. They were waiting for the second coming. And they had a sense of urgency. They, they knew there's, there's no time to lose. We have to preach the message because Jesus is coming. So they had a sense of urgency uh, because they believed in the second coming. Okay. As we go to chapter 2, what do we find there? Many things. Yes. 
many things. Want to say something? No? no? Okay, oh, I, I thought. Chapter 2. What did you find in Chapter 2? Please help me. Uh-huh. It's a core, right. There's a lot. It's, yeah, it's, it's compact. Yeah. But as you start in verse 1, you see what we have seen before. In the day of Pentecost, they were all with one accord in one place. They were together. So we have, you see, the, the, these points that, we, that I've written down here, they show up again and again. They were together. They had fellowship. And when we talk about the fellowship you, you just mentioned, where did they meet? Where did the New Testament church in the homes there was no such thing as a church building in the New Testament church. In fact, there was no such thing as a church building for the first 300 years of church history. It was only when the church became recognized by Constantine and became a state church that they started building church buildings. Before that, they were meeting in the homes. And in times of persecution, that was their recipe for survival. Yeah, this is why they, they, could, they could survive. Because if they, if they stopped the house church here, no problem. It came up here again in another home. Yeah. Now, if you think again, if you think what happens in a home, what did they do together? They ate together. Oh, it's wor so, such a worldly thing, right? They ate together. <laughs> yeah, Fe fellowship. They were eating together. It's not a worldly thing. When, when Christians eat together, it's a highly, it should be, a highly spiritual thing. Yeah, it's, it's nothing worldly. Yeah, it's spiritual. And by the way, if you, it's another topic, but if you, if you study the topic of eating in the Bible, you will see that, that oftentimes eating goes together with a covenant with each other and with God. So when people made a covenant, they ate together. And uh, when, for example, when Moses uh, called the 70 elders up to the mountain and they made a covenant with God, the Bible says they ate together. Yeah? So there's something about eating together that draws people together. But it's more than eating together. They cared for each other. Care. I mean, they, yeah, Jeremy. All right. 
Right. They studied the Word of God. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they, didn't, they didn't have a, a five-minute devotion in order to continue then with their own program. I mean, the Word of God was central, central. Um, they studied the Word of God and they obeyed the Word of God. Well, what, what did they study? What was the basis of the New Testament church? The Old Testament. That was their Bible. No, it's more than that. It's a teaching of Jesus. Because they, they came together and they, they reviewed what Jesus had taught them. And you must understand, it was fresh in their mind. Because before Jesus ascended on high, he spent 40 days, 40 days with them. And reviewed everything that he had taught them. So it was fresh in their mind. And the apostles just passed it on. Yeah? So, steadfastly in the doctrine, in the, in the word of God. Um, but there's something else. If you go to, to verse 1, um, here we say, they were all together. We had that. And then verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the consequence? And they spoke. They preached. Here, in that case, they spoke in a foreign language. Can you see that? In, in chapter 1, verse 8, it was, you shall receive the power of the Holy Spirit and you shall be my witnesses. Yeah, you shall speak. Here, they received the Holy Spirit. How many of them? All. And they began to speak. It comes up again later. Uh, now, then we have the long sermon that Peter preached. And I'd like to bring your, your attention verse 16. What do you see there? Please go ahead. Right. Look, look what he says. Remember, what, what did John the Baptist say? Who are you? What's going on here? What are you doing? And he says, prophet. As a prophet, Isaiah says. And now, they ask Peter, Peter, what, what are you doing here? What's going on here? And he says, this what happens today is what has been prophesied long before. So they saw themselves as a prophetic movement. They had a, a clear prophetic calling. They had a clear identity because they knew that God has called them for a special, special message in a special time. But there, there's more than that. Um, we, we, we see him preaching, and then we have gone through the passage uh, in the verses um, 40 through 47. And there's, some, there's, there's one more aspect. You, you have to think about it. When the church met in many houses, in many homes, what do you think? How many leaders did they need? How many leaders did they have? None? Or many? Because, I mean, every church, every house church needs leaders. Every group needs leaders. Yeah? So, they had a multiplication of leaders. Because when, when they grew, at some time, the living room was full. So they had to divide. And whenever they divided, they had new leaders. So, 
there was something about training and leadership that happened there, naturally. Training and leadership. Now, as we go to chapter 3, quickly, we see the story of the lame man healed. Um, and again, they say, where do we have that? He again, the, he refers to the prophets. I'm just looking at the verse, looking for the verse. Here, verse 18. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted. So we have a clear call for repentance. They were not ashamed to call them for repentance. You know, you know sometimes they had to say hard things. They told them, you have crucified the Prince of Life. But they never said that without giving hope. You say they, they say, you have crucified the Prince of Life, but for you first, God has raised him from the dead. God has raised him for you. So they, they, they said sometimes sharp things, but not in a sharp manner. They always gave hope. But they had a clear call for repentance. Because they had the people in front of them who had uh, just, a, just a few weeks before called, crucify him, crucify him. So in, in that respect, they were guilty of bringing him to the cross. In a broader sense, of course, you're right. We all with our sins brought Jesus to the cross. But didn't they know that they were just guilty, actually, just because they did not act that way? I mean, it's just... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, so you, you see, the, the, their point was not to condemn them, but sh to show them their need of Jesus. Please. I was going to say that um, they didn't have any, because they, what can take me, they didn't have any fear of saying things which might offend them. They just assumed. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's said in love. They said the truth in love, and that's important. Yeah, we, we, can, we can preach our doctrine in such a way that it hurts, it needlessly hurts people. And we should never do that. Jesus never did that. Yeah, if, if you read how Ellen White describes how Jesus preached, he, she says, whenever he had to rebuke sins, he had tears in his eyes. Yeah? He did it with a heart full of sorrow, not sharp. He did not condemn people. Yeah? As, we go, as we now come to, to chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. And they tell, him, they tell them, don't you ever again preach about Jesus. And what was their answer? Verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we are, they were so bold. They, you see, they, they told them, don't you ever preach again about Jesus. And they say, you know what? There's no other name than the name of Jesus. So they were so bold proclaiming Jesus. They were not ashamed, not ashamed at all. Yeah, and when and, and then here yeah, that that classic verse in um, where do we add? Actually, 
Yeah. Read it. Can you read it? Oh, you don't have it in English. Uh, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. That's the point. That's, you know, when, when we are, when we live these values, we can use many, many methods successfully. When we don't live these values, we will spoil every method as good as it may be in itself. So, they saw they have been with Jesus. And now comes a critical point. Um, verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We just cannot but speak the things. Their hearts were so full. All right, now, when we, as a, when we start a small group and we live these values, we will grow. We cannot but grow. When, when, we, have, when, we, are, when we live so with Jesus on a daily basis and ask him to fill us with the Spirit, we spend time in prayer personally and together. We take training for leadership. We ask for the Holy Spirit and we receive the Holy Spirit. When the Word of God becomes the center of our lives and we reserve, repent, when we never forget our prophetic calling as Adventist Church, we will grow. Let, let me add one, one more point here. I'm really, really convinced that whenever we compromise our prophetic calling, we can only lose. We have, we have nothing more to say, nothing more to say, Sometimes we, we try to be just, just a, little, a little different than the Baptist or than other evangelicals. Just not, not, not be too different. We are, we are almost the same. We are not almost the same. There are, there, are, there are truly converted Christians in these churches, no doubt. And Jesus loves them. But we as Adventists, we have, we have been given a prophetic calling and a mission and a message. And whenever we compromise that, we can only lose. We can only lose. I, I have never seen, maybe you can correct me, I, I have never seen an Adventist church that compromised our message. I have never seen it grow. Not really grow. Sometimes they have transfer growth because uh, dissatisfied members come from other Adventist churches to that church, but it's, not, it's no kingdom growth. See? Please. Yeah, yeah. So we must we must never forget our message, please. I mean, what do you mean by compromising our prophetic calling? How does it look like other church It says, well, when 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 we have our FNS message and we say, well, we we cannot really bring up our prophetic interpretation as they used to in the nineteenth century, it's old fashioned. Yeah, then we lose. Then we lose. Yeah. If we say, well, we, are, we don't really have a special message, we, we just preach the gospel as other churches do too, we lose. This is what I, I mean, I, I could spend a lot of time talking about identity and message. Uh, I just want to make the point, we need that in order to grow. When we have fellowship together, and not just fellowship, meeting together for church service, 
and have a little discussion in Sabbath school, but really have, have genuine Christian fellowship, eating together, caring for each other, being there for each other, having a large heart, an open heart for each other, then we will grow. If you look to Jesus for guidance, if you follow Christ, we will grow. We cannot but grow. Now, when I gave this assignment, Jeremy, you want to add something? True education. We are. Yes. 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 Yeah. They, they didn't use the worldly training of the rabbis. Yeah. Yeah. But Paul had a lot to forget and a lot to learn. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's the point. And this is this is the Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. And I think when when people say I I can see that you live with Jesus. I mean it's it's the highest education that, that we can reach. Yeah. Okay. Now, when we did that, we tried to find a nice model to to bring it across. And I want to I want to put it this way. The Bible says that the New Testament church is a temple. It's a temple. Yeah? We, we don't have the old temple anymore, but the church is the temple. Now, there's something interesting. When, when God told Moses to build the tabernacle, he says, build it just in the way that I have shown you from heaven. Yeah? So the original was in heaven, and the, 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 the temple on earth was a copy. And I would suggest that the same is true about the New Testament church. The New Testament church must be a model of the true church, of the true temple in heaven. Now, let me put it this way. Um, this is a temple, and this is a roof, okay? So, that temple has pillars, and it has a foundation. So... Okay, so at the Josiah Mission School, we have, we, have took, we have taken all these things that we have just studied and put them into seven values, seven values. A value is something that describes your characteristic. It, it, it's something that, that describes what you really are deep in your heart. And so the first value that we have come up with is based on the Bible. Based on the Bible. And that means when, it, when, it, when, when the church says we are based on the Bible, when a small group says we are based on the Bible, and you can take these values and apply them on a personal level, you can apply them to a family, but let me now apply it to a, to a small group. When a small group says we are based on the Bible, that means we will not study any book in our small group. We will not study some popular devotional book, some Max Lucado thing or something. 
we will study the Word of God because, because the Word of God is strong. And we, wanna, we don't just want to study the Word of God, we want to follow the Word of God and what we believe and, and, what, and how we believe. Please. Not in, an, in an, not in an evangelistic small group. Yeah, I would not. Yeah. I'll come back to that question later, okay? Uh, now, the second value is dependent on Christ. Dependent on Christ. And that value is just as crucial as the first one. You cannot separate. You cannot separate all the values. Uh, but that means, dependent on Christ means we are connected to Christ. And it's not just about rules. It's, it's not just about doctrine. It's about an intimate relationship with Jesus in our everyday life. This is what counts. That we are connected. You, you know the, um, the parable that Jesus told about the vine? Yeah, the grapes and the vine. That we are connected, connected. Connected to Jesus. That implies prayer. When we, are, when we are dependent on Christ, we look to him for guidance. And we bring our, our needs and our sorrows and our joys, everything, we bring it to him. Prayer. Now, the third value is focused on seekers. Focused on seekers. We are focused on seekers. That means we as a small group... This is our value. We are not there to take care, just to take care about ourselves. We are there to be focused on seekers. That means we will open our hearts, we will open our homes in order to reach out to people. We are there to reach people. You see, most churches are there to take care of themselves. If you see how, how churches spend their money, how churches spend their time, you will say, in most cases, 95% is just for ourselves. And this is not right. This is not right. Yeah? We should be focused on seekers. You are the light of the world, right. Yeah? And uh, if a small group or a church says, we are there to reach people and to serve people in our community. That's our main purpose. Lord, please help us to speak your word, your word with boldness. That, that perspective makes a whole difference because I tell you, there are people outside who are open. There are people outside who are open. Um, as a Josiah Mission School, we are located in southern Germany um, and it's a mainly Catholic area. It's not the easiest place to work, but I can tell you there are people out there who are open. And uh, just in the, in the last school year, we tried something. We called it IP party. Do you know what an IP party is? It's an, uh, an interesting people party. An interesting people party. And it was, the, the concept was, was very easy. Uh, we said we want, to, we want to invite our friends. They are all interesting people and important people. We want to invite them for a good, healthful meal and just have fellowship with them. You know? And we, we made a little flyer, said, you are invited for a good meal and for fellowship. And we, we passed it out to our friends. 
And we were amazed how, how many of them accepted our invitation. When we did that the first time, we had around 50 non-Adventists coming, including the children, coming to our IP party. We were, we were so amazed. Yeah. Yeah, we had enough food. We had enough food. And just a few weeks, we, we did it again. Yeah, we said, all right, we have, to, we have to set two dates. And we had around 30 to 35 people showing up. You see, there are people out there who are open for fellowship, who are really open, and that even in a hard Catholic area. Because, you know, wherever you are, the problem is the same. People have the same need deep in their heart. So, focused on seekers. Now, the, the next value is united in fellowship. United in fellowship. United means, yes, unity is important. Unity in our message. Unity in our, in our fellowship. That implies forgiveness. Yeah. Sometimes I'm really scared. I see, I see people who tell me things, what someone has done to them 30 years ago. And I want to, how, how, how can you ever, how can you do that? You, you kill your own spiritual life. You know, whenever we are not willing to forgive, we kill our own spiritual life. We choke it. Yeah? So, fellowship. And fellowship means we really are together. We, not, not just Sabbath morning, but we spend time together. We eat together. We pray together. We care for each other. And, you know, that, that fellowship is something that you just hardly see in the world out there. But people are longing for this. They, they come and they sense something is, is different Something is different. And I tell you, when we had our IP party, we had, we had around, um, around eight Muslim ladies showing up. That was an interesting picture, yeah, with, the, with their veils sitting there. Yeah. But you know what they told us? Uh, they, didn't t they didn't tell me. They told our girls. Because I'm, I, as a man, I, I can't really approach them. But they said, uh, we, you are just different. We have, we have, ob we have observed you ladies. You are different. You are pure. And we have, we, have, we, have, we have observed your guys, and they are different than the guys out there. Something is different. You, you know, they, they are not converted yet, but they have seen something that filled a longing in their heart. And this kind of fellowship fulfills a longing in people's heart. So when we have a small group, and this is important, we cannot just be together to study together and to pray together as important as that is. But we need time for fellowship. And not just, when you have a small group that meets once a week for 90 minutes, it's excellent. But this is not all the fellowship that we need. Such a small group needs to plan time to spend outside the group meeting, to do something together. Yeah? Um, now, united in fellowship, this is uh, value number four. Then, we have committed to discipleship. Committed to discipleship. And discipleship means personal spiritual growth. That means we are there as a group and as a church to foster spiritual growth. You know, spiritual growth does not happen by chance. You can do many things to, to nurture spiritual growth. 
And we as a group, we say, we as a church, we say this is our value. We intentionally nurture spiritual growth. And then we have the last two values, active in training. Active in training. There is a, there's a, a famous sentence by Ellen White that we find in the book Ministry of Healing where she says, every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Every church should be a training school for Christian workers. When we want to have workers, we, we must facilitate training. And the last value is together in service. Together in service. And, uh, and here the roof, the roof is our mission. You see, of, oftentimes people, as I said, they look for the right method. Come on, give me, give me the right method that will work. But I tell you, if you don't have the basis, the foundation, if you don't have these pillars, the best methods will fail. But if we have these values, we, we can only grow. We will attract people to Jesus or to the church. Yeah, it will work. And now you may ask, all right, when I compare my small group or my church with these values, I see a difference. Do you? I know. That question is a burden on my heart for a long time. Yeah, yeah. But this is how we can start. You know, you, you, you can go back to your home church. You, you, you can... All right. But I'm... <laughs> no. And now, this, this, is, this is a point where this workshop becomes interesting. Because I want to show you a way that you can implement in your home. Doesn't matter what your church looks like, you can implement it. Please. It's true, it's true, it's true. We hardly know each other in church. Oh, when, when we know each other, it's oftentimes superficial. But we don't really know the burdens in our heart. Now I have a question. Uh, do we need a break? No. Okay. 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 So when, when we live these values, and, and I think by now you, you should understand that I'm not just talking about methods. Yeah, this is more than method. These are values deep, deep, deep in our hearts. And these methods, or these values, they must be shaped. They must be shaped. They must be nurtured in our own heart. They must be nurtured in our small group. They must be nurtured in our church. How? How can we do it? And now I want to, so I want to show you something. 
that God has taught us at the Josiah Mission School during the last five years. All of this has to do with discipleship. Do you understand the word discipleship? Jesus called disciples, and he made them disciples. That was discipleship. Discipleship hmm? yeah, means follow Jesus. And when you, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, you see these values. You know, why, why didn't Jesus start a university? I mean, he had three and a half years. He could have started the theological university of Jerusalem and offer a BA degree in discipleship. He could have. And he could have preached to 5,000 people every day. But Jesus, he started with a small group, fellowship. So when we talk about small groups, we don't talk about a new modern method of the 21st century. We talk about something that is biblical to the core. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus. You see it in the New Testament church. Now, what is discipleship? What is a disciple of Jesus? When Jesus says, go make disciples, what did he talk about? Did he just talk about baptizing people? No. When someone finds Jesus, what is the first thing that he does? He studies the Bible, right? So I, I know, I know the, the way that someone finds to Jesus is a long way. It's not just quickly study the Bible. I, I know that. Yeah. But uh, sooner or later, someone has to come across the Bible if he wants to find Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other way. So he starts studying the Bible and he converts to Jesus. So the first thing that we see as a disciple, he becomes a converted Christian. A converted Christian. Is he now a disciple? Is he a disciple? Yes or no? Yes, yes of course. A disciple means a student, a pupil. Yeah? So when you, when you start in grade one, your first day, you are a disciple. Yeah? That's a neat thing. We, we, don't have, we don't have to think that being a disciple means uh, being 100% in every area of discipleship. No, it means growing in the right direction. Yeah? So, he comes to Jesus. He becomes baptized. That's my symbol for baptism. Yeah, he becomes, I, I love making little symbols in my Bible. When I come across a Bible verse about baptism, I make that little symbol. At the, yeah, that helps me find these texts again, and I just love it. Or this is my sign about conversion. Yeah, someone turns around, this is about the Bible. Now, the next step is growth, spiritual growth, because by that he's a spiritual baby. And sometimes... Sometimes we treat babies like adults. People are baptized, they get their baptismal class, and then they come out of the water, they get a few flowers, a few books, and wishes, good wishes. I hope you survive in the church. Yeah? But discipleship is more than that. The discipleship pathway does not stop here. It goes on. Spiritual growth. The goal is that someone becomes a 
mature Christian. A mature Christian. All right? Is that the end of the journey? Or does it go on? Where? Where does it go? What's the next step? Very good. So the next thing is uh, you have someone here pointing people with a Bible in his hands to Jesus. Okay? So we have a missionary. and a worker in the church. Yes. Missionary? Mature? It means, uh, what's another word for mature? Uh, yeah, a, a grown-up Christian. Mature is ripe. Yeah, it's another word for ripe, you would say, I think. Yeah. Okay? This is a mature Christian. So you grow, you are balanced, you, you are solid in your, in your Christian walk. Yeah? You know how to study the Bible. You know how to pray. You know how to serve. And that brings us to the third stage of the discipleship pathway. You become a missionary and a worker. And again, let me say, spiritual growth does not happen by chance. We need to intentionally nurture spiritual growth. Now, helping someone to become a missionary so he can lead other people here so he can lead other people to Jesus does not happen by chance. We need, we need an intentional endeavor to train people to become missionaries. But yet, this is not the end of the journey. There's one more step in the discipleship pathway. One more step. Can you think of the fourth Step that ensures multiplication. Very good. Yes. Lead us and train us. Lead us and train us. Do you think that everyone, that every disciple of Jesus should become a leader? Yes or no? Are you sure? Can everybody be a leader? Can we all be leaders? No. Yes or no? 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 Who says no? Jesus. Who says yes? All right. So let, let me ask you a question. Those who say no. Uh, should a father be a leader in his home? Yes. When, when I'm the only Christian at work or at school, should I be a leader? Of course. Yeah? It, it doesn't always have to be, must be the church leader, the, the ordained elder or something. No. We are, as a leader, we exert influence wherever we are. You see, this is a broad idea about leader. Now, yes, yes. Leader is, uh, uh, yes, I understand. One is leadership, yes. But in, in a broader sense, I think we all, we all benefit from studying leadership. Because I, I see, I'm a, lead, definitely, I'm a leader in my home. I have four children, by the way. Yeah, I, I tell you, I need a lot of leadership in my home. Yeah. So, now a leader is able not just to lead people to Jesus and help them to, uh, help them to mature in their Christian walk, 
and help them to become missionaries. A leader is also able to make leaders, leaders of others. And now you have multiplication. And how does that work? How can that work? Okay. When we see how Jesus did it, when Jesus said to the disciples, go ye and make disciples, I just imagine them thinking, hey, wait a minute. This is what he did with us, right? I mean, he said, go make disciples. He made us disciples. Now, Jesus gives the commission to make disciples, and he gives us the method and the principles to make disciples. How did Jesus make disciples? Yeah. This is what he did with them. Yeah. The, the word of God was the basis. He taught them the word of God. He taught them to be dependent, not upon man, but upon God, upon him. He helped them to focus on the needs of people instead of focus only on themselves. He had fellowship with them. He was committed to growth. He was active in training, and he sent them out. This is how Jesus made disciples. So when we want to make disciples, this is what we need. And now, that brings us to the idea of a discipleship group. Okay, you come back to your home, and you wonder, how can I ever make this a reality? Well, let me warn you. Let me warn you. When you, when you go back to your church next Sabbath, don't stand up and say, my dear brothers and sisters, I have been at GYC Europe. And I have lots of many ideas. And this is how we will do it from now on. Yeah? No. No. You go home, you go back home. And you start praying, Lord, is there someone someone in my church that I can personally talk to about what I have on my heart. Lord, please show me one, maybe two, maybe three or four. The idea is that you start a little discipleship group. A little discipleship group. And you wonder, what is that, a discipleship group? Wait a minute. A discipleship group is not a missionary small group. It's not an outreach group. Not yet. Not yet. It's first a group of Adventists or people who are close to the church who come together who have a goal. Who say, we want to proceed on the discipleship pathway. We somehow feel we are here in the middle between a converted Christian and a mature Christian. We want to grow. And we have understood that spiritual growth does not happen by chance. It must be, it must be fostered intentionally. So we, we come together once a week for around 90 minutes. We come together as a discipleship group. What do we do in these, mind, in these 90 minutes? Yes? Well, but it's... Yeah, of course it is a Bible study group, but it's more than that. 
because it has a specific goal. It has a specific goal, and in that stage, the goal is not uh, let us have um, a small group that we, that we can uh, invite our friends to. It's not the goal, not yet, later. So the goal is we want to study topics about discipleship that help us to grow, that help us to grow from a converted Christian to a mature Christian to a missionary and a worker to a leader and trainer so we can make other people disciples. So we come together and we study. Now, what do we study? I'd like to introduce something to you that we have developed at the Josiah Mission School during the last five years, four years maybe. And this is a discipleship curriculum. Um, this discipleship curriculum consists of four modules. Now look, and now we'll, you will recognize it. The first module is called Jesus, my life. Jesus, my, my life. It's 15 topics around conversion. And you may say, I, I, I don't need that. I grew up in the church. I don't have to to talk about these topics about conversion. Let, let me tell you one thing. I, I, have, I really have made the experience in my own life and in the life of the church members I'm working with and in the life of the students who come to my school. I cannot suppose, I cannot presuppose that they all have a saving relationship with Jesus. I just cannot. I just cannot. Yeah, I, I have young people who, who come to me and they are not really sure if they are saved. And I don't know what you would answer. If I would, answer, if, if I would ask a question today, um, if you were to die today, tonight, at midnight, that would give you around 13 more hours, less than that, would you have the assurance that you are safe, saved in the hand of God? Would you? And, and oftentimes I ask that question, and I feel an insecurity. I'm not asking you to raise your hands now. But I, I want to tell you that studying these topics is not just all basics that we already know. These discipleship topics are really, really deep. They, they dig deep into these topics. Um, and when we study them, they help us to explain them to others. Now, what do these topics look like? Um, they look like this. You can, have a look. you can download them on the internet. They are available. Um, they look like this. I will give you the website later. Um, you, have, um, you have Bible texts, empty space, questions. You have appropriate uh, quotes by Ellen White because she has so many beautiful things to say about these different phases of discipleship. It's beautiful. It's so encouraging to read these things. Uh, and uh, I have put the, these uh, quotes in here too, some explanations. And the idea is this. The members of the discipleship group, they make a commitment. They make a commitment to study these topics in advance before they come to the meeting. That takes them around two hours every week. They take two hours and they come prepared to the meeting. And when we study the topic in the meeting, we don't go through, the all, through all the passage, passages again, but we focus on application. We say, 
What does Jesus want to teach us? How can we implement this in our lives? It's, it's just another focus. It's not just a, like many Sabbath school groups, we just study the doctrine, we study the theory, but we, everybody commits to study these topics at home by themselves. And when we come to our discipleship group meeting, we talk about application. What are we doing with this? What have we learned? How can we put this into practice? Okay, so this is the first module teaching different aspects of salvation, 15 topics. Now, module two is called With Jesus Ahead. With Jesus Ahead. And it's talking about spiritual growth. First we talk about receiving the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? We have seen in the book of Acts how crucial it is. But how, how, can, I make it, how can I make this my experience? We talk about how to study the Bible, how to have quiet time. We have different topics on prayer. We have topics on how to experience a change of character, how to be victorious in your Christian life, how to overcome sin and deal with temptation. You know, these are very, very practical topics on how to, to live with Christ in your everyday life. And we know, we all know that we have struggles. We all know. And so it's so, so important that we come together. And you know, this group is a group where we have such a confidence in each other that we develop an openness. And I can say, you know what, can you pray for me? I, I, I really struggle with smoking. Or I, I struggle to have my quiet time. Or I struggle with pornography. Or I really have tensions in my family. Can, can we pray together? You know, it becomes an authentic Christian fellowship. Right, there's no judgment. We don't condemn each other. When, when someone in such a group opens up and says, you know what, I have a challenge. We don't say, really? How can you? How, how can you? Yeah. Uh, but we say, thank you for your openness. We will keep it confidential, but you can be sure we are behind you. We will pray for you. We will support you. And we will keep you accountable. That's important. Accountability is important. Yeah? And this is what happens in a small group. We, we talk about these issues. And like I said, these topics become very practical. They come to the core of the issues that we are dealing with. Now, this is the second module. By now, I have finished 12 topics. I'm still working on these lessons. Uh, module 1 is done, 15 topics. Module 2, 12 topics done. And then right now, I'm working on topic number 3, or on module 3. It's called... Um, my life for Jesus. My life for Jesus. So, from Jesus my life, to with Jesus ahead, to my life for Jesus. How can I serve Jesus? How can I lead people to Jesus? How can I help people to, to become followers of Christ? You know, uh, let, let me tell you one thing. I have often give, given seminars on how to run a small group and on how to give Bible studies, how to, lead a people, how, how to lead a person to Jesus. I did that many times. 
but somehow it was frustrating. Because I, I, had, I had the idea, I, I come to that church and I give them the training and they, they, they take what they have learned and put it into practice and, and then it grows. But it was like, I, I gave the seminar and the church minister said, thank you, brother, it was a nice seminar and everything remains the same. That was frustrating. And you know what I realized? I started here when I should have started here. I should have started here because I, I, I don't know. I know how many church members I have in my books. I know, how many, how, I know how many church members attend the church service regularly, more or less. But do I know how many of them are really converted? Do I know how many of them live with Christ on a daily basis and have a mature Christian walk? Do I know how many workers and missionaries I have? You know, it's, it's not just how many members we have. How many disciples do we have? And I started in the wrong place. And once I realized that, I said, no, 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 no. I, I, I slow down. Sometimes I want to make it quick. Yeah? Then I can give another seminar in another church. But it doesn't work that way. Slow down slow, and start small. That's why I'm saying don't st stand up in front, of the, in front of the church. Start small. Ask God for one or two or three. And then do this. Go through the process for one year or even longer. Go through the process. Jesus, my life. My, my life for Jesus. Okay. Or how can we find out? Okay. Okay. I wish I had 10 hours with you. But <clears throat> I can, I can, I, I'm there, I'm there the whole day. Uh, but I'm leaving tonight back home. Say that again. Yeah, you can, you can come and attend my school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I'm, I'm there for questions, and I will give you the link on the internet where, where you can download the training material and, and just study that topic for yourselves. And I give you my email address. If you, have, if you studied it and have further questions, feel free to contact me. Yeah. Um, so my life for Jesus is how can I win friends for Jesus? Sometimes we are scared because we think, uh, oh, mission work is going door to door, yeah, trying to convince strangers. But when I look into the Bible, it always starts with friends. They started in the network of relationships that they have. And the question is, how can I, in the network of relationships that I have, how can I use that network to preach the gospel, to lead people slowly but surely to Jesus? You know, every, every relationship that we have is entrusted to us by God to use it to bring people the gospel. And oftentimes, you may be the only person that someone else knows who is a Christian or an Adventist. So we talk about how can we, in the context of relationships, lead people to Jesus? What can we do to win their hearts, to win their friendship and their confidence? What can we do to to help them tactfully 
to open up for the gospel. Then we talk about how to give Bible studies. How can we give 101 Bible studies? If I have a friend who says, I really want to know what the Bible says, uh, could you say, you know what? We can meet once a week for one, one hour and we will study the Bible systematically. Are you, are you able to give Bible studies? You, you can learn it in that module. It's easy. Giving Bible studies is really easy. And the third topic that we have is how to run an evangelistic small group. How can we have a small group that is really a place where, where people find Jesus? Module four is called Leaders for Jesus. Leaders for Jesus. And this is about leadership. And in this module, we train the disciples how to start a discipleship group. Because the idea, the idea is that such a group multiplies. You know, after one year, they have, what, what does such a group meeting look like? Okay, we, we come together and we have fellowship. That means we, we talk about our week, we talk about what's going on in our lives, we share what is on our hearts. And then we have something that I really like. It's uh, learning Bible verses. For, for each lesson, there's a memory verse. Yeah? Oftentimes we think, oh, the memory verses, this is for the kids and the children's Sabbath school. Yeah? But uh, we, we, we do have a memory verse in, in our Sabbath school lessons, but we, do, we are not used to learning the memory verse. But I can tell you, committing God's word to memory is something that has a lot to do with our spiritual growth. It can do a lot. If I do it with the right attitude, yeah, it's not a method that does the job, but with the right attitude, it's a blessing. Uh, <clears throat> and how many of you have, have learned a Bible verse by heart and after a few weeks forgotten it? Honestly, me too. Okay, you know, you know that there is a way to learn Bible verses in a way that you don't forget it, that you commit them to your long-term memory and you have it there right on, the, right, right on your tongue when you need it? Yeah, it's, it's easy. The, the method is very easy. You take these little index cards. Yeah? And for example, uh, you have a Bible verse. Here I have uh, Proverbs 18, verse 13. Um, and here on the first side, I write the Bible verse together with a date when I started. Yeah, so now if I would start today, I would write uh, July 22nd, 23rd? Okay, so, and on the other side, I write the text plus the passage again. So the, the, the reference where it's found. So, now what, what happens? I go through this text. If, if, if you want to learn it, go through it every day. Now, what do you think? How many days do you need to be able to quote that memory, that this verse by heart without looking at it? What do you think? How many days do you need? You do it every, every day. A week, right. But after a week, it's in your short-term memory. It's not yet in your long-term memory. But if you do it two months, that is 60 times. That's why you need the date, two months. 
if you do it for two months, it has arrived in your long-term memory. Now, after two months, you take that card and put it in the, in the little box. And then, the, and then you take this little box maybe once a month, and you take the, the verses that you have studied, learned by that time, and do a little review. It, it really goes fast. Now, every week you take one new card. Do you think you can learn one, one Bible verse per week? Yeah, it's easy. We can learn a lot more. Think about the Waldensians. Yeah? I mean, re read that chapter in, in the great controversy about the Waldensians, and you see how weak we are. I mean, they were spiritual and intellectual giants. They really committed large portions of the Bible to memory. It was amazing. Yeah? Our, our brain is capable of doing it. It's just we are not used to it. And so we have to retrain our brain. So when you do that, every week you have a new card. And then after two months, it works like this. One card goes in your box, and a new card enters into your little file here. That makes up eight or nine verses that you review every day. How much time does it take? Reviewing eight or nine Bible verses per day? Two or three, four or five minutes. That's all you need. The key is, uh, the key is um, continuity. Just stick to it. Do it every day, every day. Take your five minutes. And if you do that, in one year, you will have learned around 50 Bible passages. In 10 years, 500. You know what, what this can do? And now, when, when we come together as a discipleship group, we commit to do this together. So, for each lesson, there is a memory verse. And the assignment is not just to study the lesson, but also to learn the memory verse. Now, we come together, and we review our memory verse. It's just five minutes. It doesn't take more time. We take five minutes to review our memory verses, and we hold each other accountable. And that's really fun. It's fun doing this together. Yeah? Okay. So, we have the memory verse. That's the second part. And then we have the lesson. We have the lesson. So, like I said, we don't go through the whole lesson in that meeting. It, it just doesn't work. Yeah? Because uh, everyone has to study the lesson before, and then we focus on application. What does Jesus want to tell us? How can we apply what we have learned? Yeah? And then after we study the lesson, we take time for mission. For mission? Do we quickly go out door to door to the neighbors? No, 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 no. You know, we focus a lot about friendship evangelism. I just mentioned the network of relationships that we have. And we start a prayer list. And on that prayer list are names. And we ask, uh, do you have someone that you know in your network of relationships that you feel we should specifically pray and work for? Do you have someone? And then we, we make a list. And we write down names. Maybe friends, maybe colleagues, maybe family members that are not, that are not Christians or Adventists. And then we we take really time to bring them to the Lord. We pray for them. And I can tell you, prayer makes a difference. Prayer does make a difference. 
But we don't only pray. We think, Lord, and we pray, Lord, what, what can we do to bring them one step closer? Do you have... And you know, in, in that module, we talk about tons of ideas what we can do for people. We can, we can write a little card. We can remember their birthday. No one has ever complained because someone remembered his birthday, right? Yeah, it's so easy. Or when, when you know uh, there, there's a friend or someone else, a neighbor, uh, who just, just got a baby. Y use it. Go and give them a little thing, a little attention. Yeah? A little, a little gift. Uh, write a little card. Uh, if, you, if you have learned to bake good, healthful bread, bring them good bread. Do whatever you can. You know, this is what we did. Um, before, before I became a pastor, I was uh, a Bible worker in Germany in a very Catholic city. Um, and when my wife and I moved into that city, we, we didn't know anyone. We just started working. There was no church. We started working in that, in that area. And you know what we did? We went to our neighbors. We introduced ourselves. We brought them some, some bread, some cookies. They never complained. We, we, invited them, we invited them to our home. We ate together. Hospitality is such a huge thing to reach the heart of people. It's so, it's so easy, so easy to invite people. You know? And this is what we do in that, in that section. We pray for these people and we, we ask God, God, give us an idea. Give us an idea. What can we do for these people? Maybe we can go for, for a hike together and invite our friends. Yeah? My wife has a discipleship group and they did just that. Yeah? They prayed for these people. And then the 1st the first of May is a holiday in Germany. As usually, it's, a, it's pretty weather. And so we, we, we had a picnic out there and we invited friends. That, that discipleship group invited their friends and they had, including children, I think 14 people, non-Adventists coming. You see, create opportunities for fellowship. This is important. So we pray for these people and in a very simple way, we work for the people. And then we have time for prayer. We pray for each other for our personal needs. Yeah? Not, we, we, don't, we don't only pray for other people, we pray for ourselves. We pray for each other. And so this takes around, this takes around 90 minutes. If you want to add a good component, you can say, we eat together, we start with a meal. It takes a little longer then. You take, it takes two hours or a little longer. Yeah? But it's worth it. I tell you, eating together creates an atmosphere of fellowship as nothing else can do. It's amazing how, how that works. Yeah? Now, say that again? Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, you eat? Do you mean that? You eat? Fellowship? Memory verse? Bible study? The lesson? Yes, you, you start with a meal. Huh? Yeah, yeah, what, true. It, does, it doesn't, no, it's not a, it's not a strict rule. You, you, now you have to eat in your small groups. <laughs> obviously, obviously. Uh, apply this to your circumstances. Yeah, yes. The mission is uh, you have a list with, of people 
that you pray for and you ask God for ideas, what can you do? What can you do for them? Yeah? Okay, now, as you proceed from module one to two to three and four, what becomes the goal? The goal is that, uh, let me put it this way. So this is our church again. The discipleship group starts as an, as an FNS group. But it shouldn't remain so until the second coming, right? So, the, no. So after, after around one year or a year and, and three months, depends how long it takes for you to go through these steps. Uh, you, can have, you can have two goals. One goal is we will split up and the idea is to start the whole process again and start a second group in the church because we want to multiply disciples. We want to multiply missionaries and leaders. We want revival to, to spread out in the church. This is one good goal. There's a second goal that is just as good. You say, we as a discipleship group, we have now spent more than a year together. We have prayed for people. We have worked for people. Now it's time to open up and become an evangelistic small group. Now is the time. But you know, by the time you have come to this point, you have gone through the whole discipleship process and you live these values. And I'm, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about perfection here. We always grow in these values. But now for one year, we have discussed and applied these values and they have been shaped in our heart. And by the time we now open up to start a small group, we really know what we are doing, why we are doing it, and how we should do it. With the right attitude, with the right values in our hearts. And this is highly effective. You know, sometimes we want to really have a quick solution. Oh, let's start a small group. And we start, and after three months it dies. And we wonder what, what went wrong. You know, some, sometimes... We have to be patient because God has a special way of growth. Do you know what it looks like? God's special way of growth? It looks like this. See that? Sometimes God wants us to have time. You know, this, this is how Jesus worked. You know, he invested time in 12 people. We, sometimes maybe we would have given him the counsel of Jesus. You, you should reach more people. Look. Here, by this time, compare. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I will start small because I want to start right. Jesus did not, mis he did not make a mistake in that method. Yeah, it was more than a method. It was a principle. And so we, have, we, we need the courage and the patience to start small with such a little group and work and pray and study. And so these, these values of the New Testament church become part of our nature, part of our spiritual DNA. Do you know what that is? A spiritual DNA? Part of our nature. So what do you do with the evangelistic group? With the evangelistic group, all right. How much time do we have? 
15 minutes. All right, it's just enough. Okay, <clears throat> now, when you have an evangelistic group, you need seven things to remember. It's neat, huh? Seven. It always adds up to seven. <clears throat> um, the first thing, it's, it's very, do you know that little song, Read the Bible, Pray Every Day? Yes. Okay, okay. So I, I, I want to show with, with my hands, with my hands, okay? So read the Bible, pray every day. That's the first two things. So you, you studied the Bible, and I said, you know, in the discipleship group, yes, we, we do study statements from Ellen White. We do. Because we are among ourselves, among Adventists, we, we can do that, we should do that. But as soon as we open up, we study the Bible and the Bible only. What do we study? When we say our goal is to win our friends for Jesus, we will have to think about them, what is appropriate for them. And we have found, in our school, we have found a way that is very effective, that helps people who come for the first time to really feel well in that study, and at the same time helps people who may be Adventists for many years to get something meaningful out of the study. And that is study the Gospels. If you study the teaching of Jesus, if you study his parables, if you study the stories from the Gospels, if you study his sermons, you get, you get so much out of it. It's so deep. Don't, don't ever think that you have understood the Gospels. I mean, they, they, are, they are so deep. And I'm always, al always amazed uh, what kind of knowledge we get out of the Gospels. I thought I've read that story, I don't know how many times. And suddenly you, you sit together and you really take time. You really take time. Do you know these pictures? There, there's an interesting kind of picture. I've forgotten the name. When you, when you first look at, at the picture, you see only chaos. But at some time, you see a, a three-dimensional picture. Do you know these pictures? Yeah, but you, you, you need to take time, time to look at the picture. And once you see the picture, if you see it again, you quickly see the 3D picture again. And it's the same with the Bible passage. We think we know the Bible passage, but we have to take time to slow down and really take time to read it and think about it. Think about the context. Think about the, the, the details in the story. Think about the application. And suddenly it becomes alive. And this is something fascinating for Adventists and visitors. So, so we have to think about topics that are relevant for our visitors and also for us. Because we, we don't just want to study the ABC for, I don't know, how many years. Yeah? It, it sh sh must be something that is, that is growing our own faith, and it does. So this is one idea. Or you can take stories from the Bible. You can st study the the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. You can take the book of Daniel, study these, uh, these stories. You know, the good thing is, you don't flip from one Bible verse to the next. That's oftentimes confusing for our guests and they feel embarrassed because they don't find the Bible text as quickly as we do. Yeah, but if you open one passage, that's easy. And we remain, usually we remain with that one passage. And I tell you, it's deep and it's, it's really rewarding 
taking time to study these lessons. Okay, the second, second thing is pray. Of course you take time to pray. And again, you have a list with friends. Friends that you pray for. But not just friends, you pray for requests that we have. So at the end of the small group meeting, we, we do take time to share our prayer requests and pray together. And I can tell you, many of our friends have never seen that before. Many, they, they know these, uh, these formal prayers from church, but they have never seen someone praying for them individually, personally. Okay, now we come to the third point. And now I have one hand. The first is the, is the thumb. Do you see that? What, might, what does that look like? Huh? No, not a fist. No, it's, oh. So, oh. fellowship. You see? That thumb gets fellowship. <laughs> we must understand that an evangelistic small group must be a place of fellowship, of true New Testament Christian fellowship. So we don't, we don't just come together for 90 minutes to study a topic, to share thoughts. We want to share our lives. And we want to, we want to help them to, to really get close. We want to care for them. So if, if, if we know they have an exam, we, we can send them, send them a text message or, and say, I'm praying for you. Or we can do something together. We can go for a hike. We can, uh, we can have a movie evening together and watch a good Christian movie together and then talk. You know, there are so many ways to create that kind of fellowship. But you must understand, to have a good evangelistic small group, it's not enough to have 90 minutes per week. It's much more. And you must answer the question if you are willing to invest in relationships. If you are willing to help and if you are willing to care. That's, that's a crucial question. We are, we are not just talking about 90 minutes. Okay, so this is fellowship. Now, we have the index finger. It's a leader. So, every small group needs a leader Every small group needs a leader who understands the values, who understands the principles of a small group, who understands all of these things that we are trying to cover in these two hours. There's so much more to say. Uh, but you need a leader who really understands. Yes? In the discipleship group? Um, yes. Um, but the goal is that the leader produces another leader. So it's like the, it's like, like the motto of John the Baptist, where, where he says, he must increase, I must decrease. You see? So the leader, he tries to put, as, as soon as he can, he tries to put the other members of the discipleship group in responsibility. So he says, you know what? Um, next time you will have the lesson. You will lead us through the lesson. Or you will do the prayer part. You will lead us through that. So you can, you can delegate responsibility as soon as you possibly can in order to produce leaders. Yeah? Because training always uh, goes together with working. 
Yeah, you must train and assign. Train and assign. If you don't assign, your training goes to the wastebasket. Please. Say that again. I'm sorry. You usually. No, no. You know, <clears throat> I mean, you, you usually, when when you when you study this topic and you want to start such a little group, usually you are the leader. Because you know. Okay then. Okay, what what are you looking for? <clears throat> what what are you looking for? Look look for people who are humble, who are willing to learn, and able to teach. Well, it's a responsibility. It's a big responsibility, but it's not that big that we cannot assume it. I know. I know. I mean, you need to go for that. I'm sure. But here, if there are other people who know the Bible better than I do, for example, mm -hmm. or then I don't have to be the Yeah. You know what? I tell you. I tell you one thing. I didn't grow up in the Adventist church. I became an Adventist when I was 19. I wish I had time to tell you this story, but uh, anyway, uh, when, when, I, when I was baptized, I gave God a promise. I said, Lord, I will accept every responsibility that you place before me. I didn't accept every responsibility that people place before me because not every need is a call, you know, and not every call by man is a call of God. But I said, Lord, I don't want to run away because I think these shoes are too big for me. Lord, I promise you, I will accept every responsibility that I feel you are placing before me. Okay. And you know what? That was a dangerous prayer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, God, God has higher plans for our lives than we have for our own lives. And if you, if you are humble enough to say, Lord, there are other people who can teach the Bible better, and God says, bingo, I found the right person. I found you. Yeah, think about Moses. Yeah. You know, there, there's always someone in your church who can do things better than you are. But that's not a reason. Let, let, let him start, but you can start too. Yeah. And you know, when, when, I, when I started, people asked me, you, you know, could you, could you maybe have the devotional in our next youth meeting? Five minutes? I said, okay, I think I can try that. And I tried that and it worked. Uh, hey, could you, could you teach our Sabbath school group? <sighs> I've never done that. Okay, I think I can try. And I did my mistakes, but I learned. And I grew. Uh, could you become our youth leader? I thought, what? <laughs> okay. I, I never forgot that promise. And I, I just, I, I, I can look back to my life and see how God has, has used this. And he really was gracious enough to let me grow despite my mistakes. Yeah. So God is, God is able to use those who are humble enough to admit that they need help. So be courageous. Okay, the leader. So you need a leader who can point the way, who can show the way. Many small groups, they fall apart 
because they don't have a leader who is a spiritual leader, who understands the dynamics of a small group, who understands the goals and the principles and the values. And there's one great book that we have. Uh, it's called uh, Small Groups for the End Time. It's written by Kurt Johnson. If you, if you just look, uh, go, go to, uh, to FNSBookCenter.com and look for Kurt Johnson. He has written an excellent book about small groups. Excellent. From an Adventist perspective. Yeah? Okay. We quickly have to wrap up. So, number five. Ha. It's this finger. What is that? Yeah? It's, a, it's the biggest, right? So that stands for our priority. Yeah? So the, the biggest one stands for our priority. And what is our priority? Make disciples. We say, we as a small group, we are not there to take care of ourselves. We are there to reach out. And we will intentionally do this. We will learn to do it. We will seek counsel if it doesn't work. But we will, we will not give up. We will not give up. This is our priority. So in the small group that really grows, it must be based on the Bible. It must be dependent on Christ. You see the values in that? It's actually the same. It must be a time for fellowship. It must, they must invest in leadership. They must have a good spiritual leader. They must focus on mission. And this one? What is this? Well, I, I don't have one. But I'm, I'm, I'm not against it. Yeah. It's a ring finger. It stands for accountability. 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 Is that right? Accountability. Yeah, looks right. Accountability. What does it mean? You know, we cannot expect accountability of our non-FNS friends who join our small group. But we can expect accountability from the FNS members. I have seen small groups fall apart because the church members, they came when they felt like coming and they stayed home when they felt like staying home. Do you know what I mean? And we need accountability. We need to accept the responsibility. I'm not just there in the small group for my own sake. I'm there for the group's sake. I'm there for the people's sake who come. I have a responsibility, and I will accept the responsibility, and I'm willing to be made accountable for that. So every small group, the, the Adventists in a small group, before they start, they should make a covenant with each other and with God for a certain period of time. Let's say for the next six or nine months, we will meet as a small group, and I promise you can rely on me. Whenever it's possible, I will come. Whenever it's possible, you, you can rely on me. I am I, I'm dependable. That's, a, that's accountability. And now the last thing, that's the little one. The little one needs to grow. It stands for training. It stands for training. And the idea is that every leader produces 
another leader. So he, he shares responsibility, he helps others to grow in that role, and the idea is, as a, as a group grows, they can split up and have two groups. If you have two groups, you need two leaders. So, and this is something that has to happen intentionally. So the leader, he should not say, hey, I, I can do, I'm the best one to do the Bible study, so every time I will do the Bible study. It's always risky to delegate responsibility, but it's more risky not to delegate responsibility. It's more dangerous. So, so yes? So if you're training with this, train another leader, what kind of group comes out? Yeah, here, here we are talking about an evangelistic small group. Yeah? I mean, the, the same is true about the discipleship group, but here I'm talking about the evangelistic small group, and it's easy to train a leader. You can select someone um, that you can delegate the topic to, the lesson to. You can say, you know what, Le next time you will do the Bible study, you will lead us through the study, and after the meeting you can stay together for a couple of minutes and talk about how things worked, or you can call during the week. But you, you should be a mentor, like, like Paul was a mentor to Timothy. Yeah? We need that Timothy principle in our church. And as a leader, you probably spend a lot of time praying for it. Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. You see? Yeah, please. Um, for the evangelistic group, you know, in the discipleship group, everyone should know the mission. Yes, yes. In the evangelistic group, mm -hmm. the new non adventist members. They should know the mission too. Or just the mission. I, even though I, I know where you, where you are getting it. Uh, you know what? Um, when I have a small group, I tell the people, you know, if this, what we are reading here about Jesus is true, then other people need it too, just as we do. And, uh, you know, we have an empty chair. Many small groups use the empty chair principle. They always leave an empty chair, and they ask God to fill that chair. So we, and we, we have a list of people that we are praying for. And we are not ashamed. We are not ashamed of our desire to reach people for Jesus. We, we should never try to hide that we want other people to become saved. Yeah? We should make it, we should be tactful about it, of course. Yeah? We, don't, we shouldn't give people the impression, oh, now he wants to convert me. Hey, I cannot, con I cannot convert anyone. Yeah? But I can pray for the person. And I can, I can testify. Please. <laughs> because uh, Lara, I saw all of my friends and groups, everybody just don't care about this spiritual matter. So now I should, I should know other new people. Yes. Say that uh, I'm, I'm fine here, I'm happy, thank you. I'm yes. not feel lost and I don't want to go to heaven, I don't care. Well, there are, there are two sides of your question. One side is that we really should pray long for people. The other side is that we just have to prioritize our prayers. So there are people that are so heavily on your heart, you pray for them every day. Even more, more than that, more than once a day. And there are other people, and you may say, all right, I will pray for them once a week or once a month. And the Lord knows that our time is limited. We, we cannot pray for a thousand people every day. We, we, we cannot. Yeah, we, we have to prioritize our prayers. Um, okay, at the end, I want to give you two websites. 
One website is the, is the website of our mission school, where you find the discipleship material in English and in German. Josiah. Also, Josia Missionsschule. Without an H, just an A. It's a German spelling. Missions. It should go together here. So, yeah. Josia, Josia, hyphen, Missionsschule, dot, de. Yeah, you've, you've got it? Can you read it? No? Okay. Okay. Let me do it again. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Missions, double S. Mission school. Yeah, missions. Schule. And there you go uh, to the subheading Jüngerschaft, which is discipleship. Yes. And if you go, if you go to, that, to that heading in the menu, you will find uh, discipleship, uh, you will find it in German, and you will find a discipleship course in English. And there you have all these topics, you can download them. Yeah. Jüngerschaftskurs. Kurs. Oh man, I'm bringing you pain with German here, right? K U R S. Oh, I'm sorry about my spelling. Okay. <clears throat> and there's another thing. Uh, how many of you use Dropbox? Do you know Dropbox? Okay, you can send me an, an email address, uh, or an, an email, and then I can add you to, to the Dropbox because I have all these topics on, on a Dropbox. And then you always have the up-to-date version. It's easy. If you don't have a Dropbox, send me an email too. I can help you. I can invite you. <laughs> Gives me more space. <laughs> okay. My, my email is Michael. And my last name with OE. Ed. It's an O. Adventisten is like Adventist plus EN dot DE. So every pastor in Germany has that email address. Yeah, adventisten.de. <clears throat> okay. And one more, one more website I want to recommend to you. Um, have you heard about the, the Gateway Adventist Church in Melbourne? The Gateway Adventist Church in Melbourne. It's the fastest growing church in Melbourne that really lives these values, and they have evangelistic small groups. They are growing by leaps and bounds. And you have a lot of good material on their website. So if you want to learn, this is a, an, an, an excellent place to work. 
and to learn. And their address is the gateway, gateway sda.org. <clears throat> All right. I don't know, have your expectations been met? Yes. Yes. It's a lot, I know. It's a lot to put into two hours. I really, I really hope and pray that you can take these things back home and make a difference. Shall we pray together? Our dear Lord Jesus, Lord, you have put the desire on our hearts to reach other people for you. And we so much want to see this happen. We so much want you to use us to, to reach someone. Lord, help us to follow your methods. Help us to follow your principles and please, please write your principles, your values in our hearts. And help us to, to serve people as you would do it if you were here in our place. I ask you for, for each one of us that we may take what we have learned today back home and that we can make an eternal difference. Please use us, Lord. It may not always be easy, but anyway, it's what you have called us to. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. Thank you, Lord, for your encouragement, even if we fail. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we could spend together. In your precious name, amen. This message was recorded through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. GYC are supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.